I invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 13. It's the second sermon in our little uh, mini-series on the church as a way of reminder, things that you probably have heard or already know, but it's, it's good to be reminded as uh, Apostle Peter tells us. So I'll be reading verses 9 to 13. Hear now the word of the Lord. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Father, we ask that you would, by your Spirit, uh, open our hearts and minds to receive these truths in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last week as we began this uh, short series, um, I preached on Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 to 13, and we noted that the, uh, the Apostle Paul told us that a maturing and a growing church is a church that has an every member ministry. It's, it's a church that equips the saints for the work of ministry, a church that is maturing and growing in unity, maturing and growing in truth, maturing and growing in Christ-likeness, and maturing and growing in love. And, and see, love is the main ingredient. As important as unity is, and it's vitally important, as important as truth is, and obviously truth is important, as important as it is for us to grow in Christ-likeness, none of those things can be separated from love. I said this last week, love for others actually produces that unity. Love for the Scripture, for the, for the Bible, for the truths of the Scripture helps us to grow in the truths of the Scripture. And then love for one another helps us to work together. And ultimately, love for God and love for Christ produces in us the spiritual transformation that we need to grow in the image of Jesus. And so you cannot... Uh, define a biblical church or even a biblical Christian apart from love. And so we looked at love uh, in that sermon, but we're going to look at it in a little bit more detail in this sermon this week. That is the focus of the text this morning. Paul says in verse 9, let love be genuine. And in verse 10, he instructs us to love one another with brotherly affection. Love is the theme of these verses. Now, love's been talked about in the book of Romans. Uh, prior to verse 9 here in chapter 12, all the references to love in Romans referred to the love of God. It was this love that we learn in chapter 5 of Romans that was poured into our hearts, the love of God. It was, it was that love that was displayed and demonstrated on the cross, says chapter 5. And, and it's the type of love that, that refuses to let us go, as we learn in Romans 8. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8, 38 and 39. 
The love of God, agape love, is God's own love for us. It's a self-sacrificing love, a love that puts the well-being of others first. That is God's love toward us in Christ. That is what Paul has been focusing on in Romans prior to chapter 12. But now, beginning in verse 9, Paul focuses on this agape love, the love of God, as as what it means to be kind of the essence of Christian discipleship what it means to be a Christian and how to live as a Christian. One writer says Romans 12 to 15 are actually simply a sustained exhortation to let love govern all our relationships. If we were to walk through Romans, our relationship, he's going to talk about with our enemies in chapter 12, verse 17 to 21, and our relationship to government in chapter 13 of of the beginning of chapter 13. And then then Paul talks about our relationship to the law in verses 8 to 10 of 13. And then he talks about our relationship to the fact that Jesus Christ is going to return again in chapter 13, verses 11 to 14. And, And then you probably know in Romans, Paul talks about our relationship to those who are maybe weaker in the faith, and and that's chapter 14 and 15. And and what he's doing there in all those relationships, the enemy, the state, the law, the return of Christ, the weak, all those relationships, uh, love must permeate. Uh, But notice now, that is true, but notice that he begins there with the family of God. He begins with our relationship to the church. That's what we're looking at here. He begins with our relationship to one another. Yes, we relate to our enemies. Yes, the state and law and the return of Christ in the week. But it begins with the family of God. That's what our passage, these verses are all about. In verse 9, Paul introduces the subject of love by telling us two specific things about it. And then in verses 10 to 13, he he elaborates on how love actually functions in in real life, providing us 10 specific exhortations. And we're going to take a look at those in detail this morning. So look at verse 9. Paul writes, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. In verse 9, there are two specific things here about biblical love. First, that it is genuine. Let love be genuine, uh, Paul says. The Greek word for genuine literally translates without hypocrisy. It's a, a word is used for a mask, and it refers to the way uh, somebody in the Greek theater, an actor, would carry out uh, their, their different scenes, be it a tragic or a comic scene or a melodramatic scene, and they would do it, and they would signal to the audience by changing their masks. And, and so you would know the role they were playing at the time. And they were called the, the hypocrites. They were the play actors. That's where that word comes from. And Paul's telling us that those who love are not to play act. Those who love are not to play a role, but they are to be genuine. One writer said the church, it's talking about the people, must not turn itself into a stage. Love is not theater. It belongs to the real world. Indeed, love and hypocrisy exclude one another. Love, he says, is the sum of virtue, and hypocrisy is the epitome of vice. And and, and so to to mix love and and hypocrisy is is to mix two things that are a contradiction. 
Now, now we know, most of us know how to pretend to love others. We know the right things to say, how to speak kindly, how to avoid hurting someone's feelings. Maybe uh, we appear to take interest in them. We, we may even be skilled at pretending to feel moved with compassion when we hear about others' needs or to become indignant when we learn of an injustice that's done. But see, that's not what Paul is exhorting us to. Paul is saying in so many words, get off the stage and drop your masks. And uh, genuine or sincere love goes far beyond politeness. Nothing wrong with politeness. But it goes far beyond that. It, it actually requires some type of concentration and, and an effort. This is what the Greek calls agape love. Paul is calling us to have a God-like love for other people. He's, he's calling us to love with the very love that, that has been placed within us by the Father in Christ. And so this type of love needs to demand our attention. It, it demands our time. It, it'll demand our money. It'll de demand our personal involvement. It, it requires sacrifice and sincerity. It must be genuine. That's the first thing Paul tells us. The second thing in verse 9 tells us that this love is discerning or it's discriminating. Let love be genuine Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Now, a more literal translation may go, let love be without hypocrisy, hating what is evil, and clinging to what is good. So genuine love is without hypocrisy. We know, but genuine love operates by hating evil and clinging to what is good. It's interesting, isn't it? And it seems strange that he gives this command to love and it's immediately followed by a command to hate. And, and, and it seems strange, but why does he do it? Well, that's because our love as Christians is a response to and actually reflects God's love and God's hate. He hates evil. We read about it in Proverbs. There are seven things God hates, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. God hates those things. Amos 5.21 tells us that God hates religion that is merely formal. I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. He required the feast in the word, and he called them to assembly, and yet he hates it. Why? Well, he hates and despises these activities because they were formal observances but for the people. They were performed what? Hypocritically. And love is what? not hypocritical. And therefore, if we love as God loves, and, and that's what we're being called to, that's what it means to be a Christian, there, then there will be things that we hate, that we will hate. The word hate here is actually the strongest word for hate found in the whole Bible. It's not a mild displeasure, oh, it's discomforting, or I just kind of dislike it. It expresses an aversion, it's an abhorrence, it, it, it's a, even a loathing is part of the definition. And so the scripture here is saying that we must loathe evil. We must hate it with the strongest possible hate. And if we're going to love the way Christ loves, then we must hate the way Christ hates, and, and Christ hates evil. 
In fact, we, we need to hate all the things God hates. We, we, we will hate and loathe false religion. We will hate and loathe lying. We will hate and loathe stealing, hypocrisy, adultery. We'll hate and loathe when someone dishonors his parents or gossips or slanders or causes division in the body of Christ. And we will hate and loathe these things even when we're guilty of committing them ourselves. We'll hate that in ourselves. We, we need to be a church that deeply hates sin and evil in others and in ourselves. Now, that's, that's part of that, one side of that coin. The other side is that we'll cling to what is good. We'll abhor loathe evil and cling to what is good. This is another strong word. It, it, it has to do with glue. It, it's kind of a bonding to the good. That's the idea here. We'll stick to good like epoxy is the idea. And, and so what does this mean when you put them both together? It means that true love, biblical love, it, it discriminates. One commentator explains, he says, love does not mean ignoring evil or ignoring good. Or ignoring good. Love always kind of makes a distinction. Love may choose to love in the face of a wrong, and, and often we have to do that, but it does not call wrong right, and it does not ignore the distinction between wrong and right. What, what happens is love distinguishes it doesn't blur distinctions. It discriminates. It's not mere sentimentality. Love knows the difference between right and wrong, and it clings to the good, and it abhors the evil. Every time we detest an evil act, while at the same time showing compassion to the person who's committing that act, that's how we put this principle into practice. Let me illustrate I, I can, we're, we're supporting Align Ministries, and we support Align Ministries because we want to care for people in maybe unwanted pregnancies and to help them. But we abhor abortion. And, and, and so I, 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 I abhor it. it. It's an evil. But I still show loving compassion towards someone who has had an abortion, for example. And, and so that's that. I, I, I should abhor the sin of adultery. I, I can abhor the sin of homosexuality. I can abhor the sin of gossip. Um, uh, but at the same time, people caught in those sins, I, I can show compassion toward them. And, and so that's what this looks like. See, love involves truth and it involves honesty. At times, it means speaking the truth in love, even when it's not easy. And at other times, it just means shutting up. You know, even when we know we are right. And so it discriminates. A choice has to be made. A decision has to be made to choose one thing and to reject another. So love discriminates. It hates evil, but it clings to what is good. And so our love for fellow believers is to be godlike. It's to be genuine, yet discriminating. It, it, it fakes nothing, it abhors evil, and it clings to what is good. That's the love we're talking about here. So how do these work out in day-to-day -day life? How are you actually treat one another in the body? And Paul's gonna go on to that now. In verses 10 to 13, he provides some answers. And, and, and he addresses 10 ways 
in which love behaves. And we're going to walk through all 10 quickly. First, he says in verse 10, if we're to love one another with what? Brotherly affection. Now, I mentioned earlier that Paul used that Greek word agape when he spoke of love. And now he uses two different Greek words for love. One of them you know. It's the word Philadelphia, translated here in our text, brotherly affection. And then the other is a combination of the word Philadelphia with with the Greek word storge, which means just love is translated in our text. And both of these words, when they were applied, originally were applied to blood relationships within family, the kind of love you have and the natural affections in your own family. And and, and so that's how they were used. But now Paul takes those words and he applies them to the affection and and the tender, warm love that we should have with the other members of the family of God, that genuine love, that affectionate, warm love, as one writer says. Paul is saying we're to be marked by a devotion that is characteristic of a loving, close-knit family. We, the body of Christ. We're to love and treat Christians as we would members of our family. James Boyce says, Christians are a family. And and he says, look, regardless of their background, their race, their nationality, their occupation, their wealth, their education, or even whether we are attracted to or like another believer, it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Our devotion to one another is not to be a matter of liking. It's just a matter of life. He goes on to say, look, the contemporary church will never have the power of the early church until today's Christians love one another as a close-knit family. And so genuine love in the church runs as deep, if not deeper, than blood relationships. And, and so this is a love that is a affectionate. And so that's one thing. Second, Paul says in verse 10, we're to outdo one another in showing honor. Our love in the Christian family is is to express itself with mutual honor as well as mutual affection. And, And so we don't wait around for someone else to pat us on the back. We should go about honoring others. Be alert to what's going on in people's lives, what they're contributing, and honor them for that. Another way to say it is, look, if you're going to outdo another believer, outdo them in showing honor and respect. Those who genuinely love show respect and honor for others rather than than seeking praise for themselves. And so this is a love that honors. And so that's the second thing. Third, Paul says in verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. A good paraphrase would be, do not lag in diligence. King James says, do not be slothful in business. That's an interesting translation. And the business it's referring to is the business of being a Christian. Uh, uh, See, a a, a genuine love follows after Christ with kind of a holy zeal. It's with our whole heart and minds, with, with energy, with the energy of Christ at our disposal. We should work at being Christians is the idea. That's why that translation's interesting. One writer says, your sanctification must be a matter of business. What does he mean? It, it must be cared for and, and prosecuted in a business-like manner. When we're going about our daily business, you entrepreneurs out there, when you're going about your business, you don't do it lazily as if this could take care of itself. 
you know, I'll start this business and, you know, just come back in a month and see if it's still there. No, you, you, you have to work at it. You have to be diligent. You have to be punctual. You have, you have to manage the things that are going on. And that's the same with us growing in zeal for Christ and, and living the Christian life and loving. Genuine love goes kind of hard after Christ with this sense of urgency and with a hunger and with a passion. And so this love is zealous. It, it's worked at. Here, let me pick up the pace. Fourth, it says we're to be fervent in spirit. That word means to boil. Those who genuinely love have personalities that glow with the light of the Holy Spirit. They, they radiate Christ. And so this is a love that is fervent. Fifth, we're to serve the Lord, says verse 11. Jesus said, if we love him, we will obey and serve him. Remember the two greatest commandments? Love for God and love for man. We serve him by loving others. And so that is love that serves. The next three, verse 12, they go together. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Now, in the Bible, hope always refers to the, the, that God has promised to us and that blessed hope in Christ's return. It, it, has to, it has to do with that. As Titus says, or the book of Titus says, the glorious appearing of our, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's the blessed hope. And it refers to what John says, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is when he returns. And so our relationships, the point is, with our brothers and with our sisters in the church should, should be characterized by a joy that springs from the reality of our shared hope in the fulfillment of Christ's promises to us. And, 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 and we must endure in the midst of that, the fact that we're looking forward to it, but it's not yet here. We must endure the sufferings of life. We're to be patient in tribulation, not succumbing to the temptation to vent our frustrations about other believers. And we're to go regularly before the Father on our behalf and our brother's behalf by const, be constant in prayer. And, and so that is a love, love that hopes, love that is patient, a love that praise. Ninth, we're to, be, we're to contribute to the needs of the saints. That's what verse 13 says. We must do all we can to meet the needs of other believers, including bringing them into our homes in order to provide them with food and shelter. See, when genuine love sees anyone in need, its responsibility is to assist by whatever way possible. This is what was true of the early church, something that Dr. Boyce was getting at when you see the early church. We read in Acts chapter 2 that they had everything in common. What does that mean? It meant that they shared their possessions with one another in order to make sure everybody's needs were met. They did it voluntarily, and, but they did it because they loved one another. They had genuine love for one another. And, and so a genuine love for another person is a love that gives. And so 10th now... It seeks to show hospitality. Look at verse 13. Now, that word hospitality literally translates a word that means love of strangers. And so while generosity is shown to the needy, hospitality is shown to visitors. Love of sister and brother in Christ has to be balanced by love of strangers. And both are necessary for, in, for, for genuine love. Now, notice, Paul doesn't say, I want you to practice hospitality. He says, look, seek it out. Seek it out. 
One of the early church fathers says, we are not just to receive the stranger when he comes to us, but actually to inquire after, to look carefully for strangers, to pursue them and search them out everywhere, lest perchance somewhere they may sit in the streets or lie without a roof over their heads. You see the action in that? We're to seek it out. Genuine love seeks to show hospitality. And so this is a love. The love that Paul's talking about here is a love that is hospitable. And so that, beloved, is the picture. Just a, you know, a easy picture of genuine biblical brotherly love. Um, it, it's, it's obviously something beyond just feelings, which is what basically we define it as today in our culture. This is a love that works hard at the business of loving, a love that's sincere. It's without hypocrisy. It's a discerning love. It hates evil, but it, but it clings to the good. It's an affectionate love. It's a love that honors others, so it puts others first. It's zealous for Christ and His church. It's fervent. It serves. It hopes. It prays. It's patient. It's generous. It's hospitable. That is what genuine love looks like. And it's the kind of love Christ calls us to display. Let me close with this. In, 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 in John chapter 13 and verse 35, Jesus said, By this all men will know you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. He, he never said, By this they will know you are Christians by your doctrinal statement, by the Christian t-shirt you were wearing. He never said they would know we are Christians because of our denomination. Not that those things aren't important. Obviously, our doctrine is vitally important. If we're going to love someone, we need to know the truth. But he never said we would know we, they would know we are Christians because we have some extraordinary gift that just stands out. They will know, they will know we are Christians by our love for one another. Love, this kind of love, love is the sign that you are his disciple. And so ask yourself, do you love your brothers and sisters in this way? You know, I had to ask myself, I'm, I'm preaching the sermon, I had to ask myself this. And, and when, you, when you consider everything that was just said about love, it's sincere, discerning, it abhors evil and clings to good and all those things, I had to come to the conclusion, which I think if we're all honest and very much so would be the case for everybody, that I've never actually loved a person in my life. That I just, not this way, obviously, not perfectly, not completely. But this is what I know. That is how God has loved me and has loved you in Jesus Christ. That's the kind of love. And see, before you can ever be an instrument of this kind of love, of God's love, you must be first a recipient of God's love. The Apostle John spells this out. He says, Beloved, we ought to love one another. Why? Love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest. How do we know God loves us? That God, he says, sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. We're not capable of doing that on our own, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, 
the appeasement of God's wrath for our sins. He, he declared us righteous. God demonstrated his love. Notice it's not just a feeling. He didn't feel love toward us. He sent his son into the world and paid for our sin so that we can have a relationship with him. God abides in us and his love is perfected with us. If we don't know love, if we've never loved, then God doesn't abide with us. And so we have to begin somewhere, and that beginning is with looking to God's love in Jesus Christ. You will never love sincerely, discerningly. You'll never hate what is evil and cling to what is good. You will never show the affection of love, the honor of love, be zealous, and all those things I said, apart from first knowing this love in Jesus Christ. You must come to Christ. That is where genuine love is found. And once you find it, though, once you comprehend the fact that, yes, that, that's, that's the love I needed all my life, that's the love I've been longing for, then slowly but surely by the power of the Spirit, you are freed to put this love on display to the whole world to see. And so when we're talking about what is the church, May, may it be said of us here that this is a church that displays to the world the genuine love of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do well, thank you for the love of, uh, of Christ, that you sent your Son, and that he died for us, that he reconciled us to yourself, that we've been redeemed, that we've been justified. And we pray, Father, that now that we know you, for those of us that do, that you would allow us to display that love. And we pray, Father, for those who don't know that love, that they would experience it as your spirit overcomes them. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.